Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Rates and Barrels presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Wednesday, November 3rd, and the Atlanta Braves are World Series champions for 2021. Congrats to all the fans out there. First time since 1995. Plenty of heartbreak between now and then. A well-deserved title with a, a dominant Game 6 performance that we will dig into in great detail. And I feel like I should just hand it over to Britt right away for... The victory lap since I was on the anti-Atlanta side in each series. I believe Eno was right there with me, just uh, just talking ourselves out of this Atlanta team, getting it done. So, Britt, congrats to you as well for uh, for great predictions. It's, I think it's like a half lap, though, guys, because I yesterday said the Braves are going to lose, and I still thought this was going to go seven. So I did have a little faith. I had a little more faith than you two. But the bar was low. Like ants were, <laughs> ants were getting over that bar. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think I think we can all agree on this podcast that while we thought with our heads that the Astros were going to win, our hearts are happy that the Braves have won, or at least mine is. I think they're just a better story. If nothing else, in a copycat league, I was thinking this last night. What every World Series teaches you something. This World Series teaches you that if you're even close to in it, you should roll the dice because you just never know what's going to happen. And I think that's a positive lesson for baseball, that if you're just a team that's okay around 500, you roll that dice. And we talk about competitive balance. We talk about, you know, the structure of these behemoths and these small market teams. But um, you know what Atlanta did in becoming just the fourth team to be a under 500 at the all-star break to be in the world series is remarkable, and I hope more teams that are kind of on the fringe next July are like, you know what? Look what Atlanta did. Why can't we do it? Why can't why can't it be us? And the Nationals in 2019 had a lot of those characteristics too, and so I really hope, again, that a lot of teams look at that and emulate that and model that going forward and don't just say, well, we're only playing for a one-game wild card. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting too um, that if they expand the playoffs, what that will do. I mean, there were other teams that bought. I mean, the Yankees bought and didn't get much. Didn't get as much for it. Um, and so it's not. It's not the only thing that we could learn. But I do agree. Like the Braves were like, you know, try not try, and they tried and they won. So uh, it's like <laughs> that's definitely something to celebrate. Um, I uh, I if they if there are only to um uh if there are more uh, teams though we'll have a uh, pressure on teams to try less hard so there is uh something at stake here when the the cba battles come up and we'll have to do some podcasts on that but let's not talk about that right now let's talk about how awesome max freed was yeah. uh because that was pretty amazing um 
You know, he had uh, his best changeup of the year. Only twice this year did he have a slower changeup, so he had a bigger he had a bigger gap between his fastball and changeup than he had almost all year. He threw it more often than he had all year, so that was a wrinkle. But then he also took the same game plan that he took in the other game, but just executed it better. If you look at where his fastballs were. Uh, his fastballs, by the way, he threw the third hardest fast fastball of his career to strike out Yuli Gurriel in the first inning. Uh, and uh, that this game was the fifth hardest he's ever thrown his fastball on average. And the other four were this postseason. So he's been throwing the rock pretty good. And uh, in this game, he had the same game plan he had before, but except he dotted the bottom of the zone. If you look at his fastballs, he just he just lined them up along the edge of the zone at the bottom. And so he never he like once I think once or twice he came up and in Correa like pounced all over one and fouled it and that was that was it that was all he did so uh, just executed the game plan Max Fried was was beautiful had a couple of huge double plays I think in the third and the fourth too so any whiff of the Astros getting something going quickly extinguished in, in those sequences uh, as well uh, lots of love for Britt and her background in the chat, including uh, Mr. ABCD, ABCD 1122, <laughs> loves the deer heads on the wall. Britt, when you did the thing that I think, well, I, I think this is what you did. I think you probably just hit the closed window on the wrong window. <laughs> that's that's yeah, my greatest exactly. fear on videos that I will close the actual window of, of broadcasting people uh, on, onto the internet. But uh, no, uh, you are not big leaguing everyone. You're just human, like the rest of us. I can't believe uh, that that first in that first inning, I was really like, okay, so here here it goes. Like Max Fried's gonna give up two in the first inning, and he just got his ankle cleated. Uh, that was just gruesome looking. I thought it was definitely gonna be an injury, and uh, he just got out of it. And the, and the ground balls are not like his thing, but if you're throwing, you know, you're forcing low in the zone, I guess you're gonna get some ground ball double plays. Yeah, I'm giggling in the comments about Mitch, hire me Sandy, copycat league. Uh, <laughs> All it takes is being crappy in the first half of the season, then well, you the, win. <laughs> the Mets could do that part really easily. I mean, the Mets could, could have a 485 winning percentage on June 25th, and no one would, would bat an eye. Like, oh, we've been here before. Yeah, it's a, I think a lot of credit goes to Brian Snicker, right? And this is where we talked about this yesterday with the having the Bob Melvins of the world and these veteran managers, Ryan Snicker spent 45 years in the, in the Braves organization, which is basically unheard of in the current game. He was demoted a bunch, you know, front offices change. If you're not their guy, you kind of get demoted, you move around, finally gets his dream job in the dugout at 60 years old. How many people would have already quit? Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Managing the minor leagues is Everyone not else. easy. <laughs> um, finally gets this job. And they get and they get to the World Series without their best player. They lose their best player in the middle of the season, which could have and should have torpedoed them. So I think a lot of credit goes to that coaching staff, but really Brian Snicker, who, similar to Bob Melvin, is so well liked, so well respected by so many players. Um, just a really cool moment. And I think if you have a team similar to the Nats again in nineteen, the last full season winner that had a lot of similarities, um, and then Alex Cora and the Red Sox, like they they have that calming presence to them where they don't ever go one way or the other they showed snicker after that grand slam two games ago and there was just no emotion either way and i think having that kind of like steward for your club in the dugout every night um there's no way to quant there's no way to have some kind of quantitative value on it but it has a lot of value yeah he went on uh on 
one of the MLB Network shows, I forget which one it was, I think with Brian Kenny, and they asked him about that moment, about that Grand Slam and how he didn't seem to react. And he's like, you know, I was thinking about too many things. <laughs> he's already thinking about, like, you know, pitchers and relievers and, like, pinch hitters and stuff like that. And he said, and and it is my job uh, to not get up too high or too low. So, uh, you know, you know, he knows he knows that's his job. And I think that's a big thing. I think it had something to do with with uh, Tingler's dismissal in San Diego, where it's just like, you know, there were times when his fluster seemed obvious, I think. Yeah, I think players can pick up on that. Uh, the example that pops into my head is Rick Renteria in the playoffs last year. If you remember Renteria in the dugout for the White Sox in that series against the A's, he was projecting so much nervous energy. When you think about like a, a younger team in the playoffs. I think his hands were on his knees at some point. He, I mean, yeah. he was all over the place. He, he was like mimicking, throwing up in the dugout. I'm exaggerating a little bit now, but mm -hmm. I do think that calming presence is is something you want in, in leadership, especially with, with the ups and downs of a 162-game season. Even the highs and lows within the postseason, you want someone who's a lot more steady. And yet, I, I find that people uh, are often critical of managers who have that temperament, especially in places like New York, right? Aaron Boone isn't fiery enough. And it's like, well, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to show up every day after a loss and, and fire a chair across the clubhouse? That would get old so quick. Yeah, that that's that's lead tasso, right? I mean, like that's that's a trick in the bag. Like when you're not normally someone who's fired up like that, you can maybe get away with that one time and get people to react to it, but it's not going to be just look an at, effective style. Just look at how many dugout fights have been started by someone firing their helmet around in the dugout. Have you like this is the thing. It's not something that just happened once. I I can I can't think of any details because it happens a lot where somebody comes back and they're a red ass and they they you know start firing stuff around and someone gets in their face. So like, you know, yeah, if someone's always doing that, it just people really roll their eyes at it. You also see a lot of broken bats in the tunnel. Just because you don't see a guy go crazy doesn't mean he's not going crazy, right? You see a lot of probably... stuff. You see them calmly walk to the tunnel, and then they just smash the shit out of bats and helmets, and they yell. Like I've heard all kinds of stories about fights that go down in there. Uh, I bet you, I bet you, going into the tunnel is a bit of a coping mechanism for those red asses, right? Because they're like, yeah. okay, I've been yelled at before for firing my helmet around. Let me just go into the tunnel where I'm not going to hurt anyone, and people yes. will just let me go bash something in the tunnel, and then I'll come back and out, and I'll feel fine. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it, man? I remember someone. I think Yonder Alonso was involved. Like someone threw a helmet, and it like hurt Yonder Alonso's knee, and he got super pissed about it. I mean, yeah. I'd be pretty mad if if uh, if we were just sitting around drinking beer and you got the ass and you threw a batting <laughs> helmet at me and hurt my knee. Like I'd I'd get pretty mad about that. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't quite happen in that scene. <laughs> Somebody no, said no. Ozzy Gant to the Mets is that they're not even interviewing for that manager job yet. They still need a president, right? Yeah. That's not March right. by the time they get that sorted somebody. out. They need a somebody. Musical uh, chairs should... right now. I think they should hire a GM and sort of punt POBO till next year when Sandy's gone. So I heard all kinds of crazy stuff this morning that like Steve Cohen was saying that he's still going to hire David Stearns in two years when his contract's up. It's like, maybe David Stearns doesn't want to go there. Did that ever cross someone's mind? Like Maybe if you were trying you gonna to get a job in New York, years? you would choose the, the good franchise. Maybe you'd go work for the Yankees someday when Brian wow. Cashman retires. Maybe that's what you'd do. I don't know. That's what I would I mean, do if I were a highly motivated, qualified person who could do something like that. I had somebody say to me yesterday, an executive, like, New York is a place where your career goes to die. 
like the Mets, which is kind of true the way it's set up now. Like, look at how you viewed Sandy Alderson now versus how you viewed him maybe three years ago. Mm. Right? Has and has he upped his stock at all? No. I mean, but it's all his own doing. I, I think. Sure. We, we've got a whole winter to laugh at, at that <laughs> no, stupid franchise for being a stupid franchise. I like this question that Sam threw out in, into the live stream. Uh, he's a huge fan of pitchers like Freed who try to wind up with those low pitch counts. Do you see more starters trending this way? And I think it's kind of a it's kind of a chicken and egg problem in some ways. I don't think any pitcher is avoiding an approach that would give them a low pitch count. Every starter wants to pitch deep into games, right? But it's more of a how do you do it sort of question. How do you become more efficient in today's game? Like what what enables pitchers like Freed to have that kind of success because a lot of the conversation throughout the postseason was starting pitching is dying and we're going to have three inning starting pitching and baseball is ruined and the kids can't stay up and watch it and your kids are eating too much Halloween candy. That was the the, the <laughs> swirling narrative around baseball the last The games start hours. too late. The games have started at the same time for 50 years. Okay, you guys, they're 5 p.m. for you guys, so let me chime in as something. <laughs> eat, eats dinner, walks their dog, watches TV for like an hour, and it's like, God, how is this game not on yet? Uh, totally different. I do think the pace of the game is the biggest problem. Yeah, it's I also pace think. Thing. I also think on the weekends there's no reason they can't have a game start at seven. It's a Saturday. It's a Sunday. The West Coast people are still not working. Why can't those games start an hour earlier? There's all, no reason. All all fair points. I think the the efficiency thing would also help too, though. Shorter yes. shorter plate appearances, fewer pitches yeah. thrown is one on-field way for the game to speed up. Now, I realize that's player performance and tactics and, and things that are not necessarily easy to do, but I think every starter would like to be more efficient. How can starters be more efficient, though, in in today's game with hitters? I think being some of the arm? key is actually fastballs and where you put them because, uh, you know, Freed actually does do some up and down. I mean, he does throw his sinker, uh, and he has a ground ball rate over 50%. Uh, which sort of surprised me because I I pigeon him pigeonholed him as a as the high four seam guy. That's the trend in baseball is for everyone to throw higher and higher four seams. What that gives you are more homers, more whiffs, uh, more balls, and so you know those things extend the game. Those things uh, uh, you know are not efficient. Uh, efficient is uh, you know rolling over the ball early in the count, throwing them a sinker that that looks delicious, and getting them to roll over the ball and hit a ground out. That's more efficient. So, you know, maybe uh, what it takes is some of the pushback against the current trend in baseball, because I think what you're seeing is a lot of hitters who've already reacted to the high four seam trend. If you look at yeah. Marcus Simeon's big breakout, we talked about on the show about how he throw he hits the high four seam really well now that he made an adjustment against Roldis Chapman. You know, guys like Josh Donaldson were leading the way and Jose Bautista were high ball hitters. Now you look at the Astros. What are those three righties? All high ball hitters, you know? Um, and so I think, you know, we might see some people watch, oh, the game plan against the Astros now is low. You know, it's like low, low fastballs and, and sneak them, sneak them down there. And that might be more efficiency around the game. So Max Scherzer has talked a lot about this because early on in his career, he was like a five inning starter. All of a sudden that hundred pitches had to come out of the game. Um, a couple of things that he has noted is, you know, one, it's always going to be about strike one. Like you look at pitchers and you talk to pitchers just about the confidence they have once they're consistently ahead in counts. And the outcomes and, are always much better. And yeah. The outcomes are just through the roof. Um, when you look at guys who consistently get ahead, but also Max has talked a lot about, you know, having some in the tank. 
and he trains more like an endurance athlete. And I wonder if, you know, those last 15 pitches, lots of times you hear him grunting from the press box. Sometimes, and Justin Verlander is like this too, mm -hmm. their hardest pitchers are that last inning. Carlos Rodon. Now, now, because of this, Max trains like an endurance athlete. As I said, he trains, he runs like a crazy person. He builds up his legs to have that stamina. And John Smoltz talked about this a lot with me about a month ago. And the Nationals, coincidentally, are going to add more endurance training this year for their pitchers specifically. And I wonder if that's something that has to shift within the industry because we're at a throw as hard as you can, high velocity, starters pitch like relievers game. Do we have to shift into training these guys to have the endurance to get up six, seven times and pitch and have the legs to pitch seven innings. I think that's, that's important. That's super interesting. I was just watching Kyle Bodie had a, had a live stream yesterday, uh, right before the game. And, uh, it was just an aside, but he, he was talking about how, uh, their, their sort of prepackaged game plan for pitchers did not include a lot of running, but if a pitcher came to him and said, I, I enjoy running and I think it has these benefits, that he was super open to it uh, and that he thought personally that we might be undervaluing long distance running as part of the regime uh, for pitchers. So uh, we yeah. may be seeing that, that sort of come back uh, as well. It was and, used and you to never see. know if they start making different rules for like how many pitchers you can have in a game or how long a pitcher has to go or stuff like that. Uh, that might go hand in hand with uh, having to train more for, for long distance. Yeah. When I was in New York, I remember you'd get to the stadium early and you would see Andy Pettit run the stadium steps, right? You'd see AJ, Burn AJ Burnett was a big run the stadium steps guy. And um, I do wonder if we've gotten so far away from that, that part of the reason we don't have guys go deep is we don't, we don't train them to go deep. Like I swam the mile in college. Um, and so I could go X amount of laps right now. If you told somebody whose event was two laps was the, the 50 free to go, to go that mile they wouldn't be able to, right? Like yeah. they would, they would drastically drop off in performance after those two laps. Um, and so I think, you know, you are what you train for your body is just a terrific example of, of adaptation, right? St stressing it and then adapting to those stressors. And I just wonder, um, this is something, you know, maybe we get into in this off season, you know, I just wonder if the training mechanism is what is flawed because the injuries are not down at all in the age of being ultra careful with pitchers, soft tissue injuries are at a record high guys aren't able to go deep into games and it's trending worse. So what we are doing, even though we are smarter by all means in terms of data and numbers is not working. So maybe we do have to go back and think about this as more of an endurance sport. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an endurance task, trying to pitch deep into games. It is surprising to me that more more pitchers aren't relying on distance running as just a part of what they do. Like, if you had that and you were doing the the max effort to get the like the top-end velocity, that seems like that'd be maybe the best of both worlds uh, if you could pull yeah. both of those off. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Like, I'm doing my running training, and to in order to run further, I have to run faster as well. So I do, you know, sprints on Fridays. I do my long run on Wednesday, and I do an as you feel on Monday. So you know, I you know, I, I think that almost every facet of of training should uh, kind of you have to vary the, the the utensil. You have to like change what you're throwing. That's the weighted ball, weighted bats, all that stuff. You have to vary the distance, and you have to vary the intensity. Uh, that's, I think, you know, anything that you're training for, you have to vary around it. Cause if you just did the one thing that you were training for, you would never really get better at it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I wanted to do 50 sit-ups as fast as possible, and I just did 50 sit-ups every day, it, I actually wouldn't get better. I'd have to do a hundred sit-ups or sprint, th sprint through 20 sit-ups, you know, like you have to kind of change it up.
Um, so I think that's uh, that's something that you know I think I, people are that's called sort of differential or interval training. That that is something that's very common to you know pitching coordinators, pitching coaches know all about it. But how you implement it is uh, is different from place to place. I mean. Uh, Donnie Ecker was doing, Donnie Ecker just got hired by the Rangers. One of the things that he was doing, uh, with the, with the giants that was so amazing was, um, he was doing things where they would fail 90% of the time. He turned the machine on to 95 mile an hour sliders and told him to swing at 20% and told him to do it for an hour. Can you imagine doing that? You're swinging at 20 and 30%. You're failing 90% of the time. You're barely making contact. And he's telling you to, to keep doing it. <laughs> I would find that super annoying, <laughs> first of all, but exhausting. But you know, apparently, you know, that's the kind of thing you you fail a lot in practice in order to to do better in the game. Yeah, I, fascinating I mean, stuff. Anyway, the Braves won the World Series. We've gotten on a great, interesting tangent, though. We need to like write this down for later in the <laughs> off season when we're like, what should we talk about? Mitch well, has uh, Mitch has a good a good question too um, about lessons to be learned from them. Um, and one thing I was thinking about when you when we were looking at these uh, high ball hitters for the Astros, right? You know, I feel like if you can pitch to Cor- Carlos Correa, you can pitch to Altuve, you can pitch to Bregman, and there you take the three righties, and and, and to some extent, Yuli Gurriel is a high ball hitter too, right? So yeah. if you've got four guys who are all the same um, on one side, then you can pitch to those righties if you figure something out. That's sort of what happened with Freed. He's he just it clicked, and it was like, oh, this is the game plan. It's working. Um, the one thing that I think the Braves had that is interesting is I think all the hitters are different. I mean, I, I I think that Ozzy Albies is way different than Freddie Freeman is way different than Eddie Rosario is way different than Jorge Soler. So like whatever game plan you have, you kind of have to kind of individualize it and it might not match up with the strengths of a pitcher, but you're more likely to break through if you have a, a diverse lineup like that, where you're like, you know, oh, this guy's pitching a no hitter, and then oh, Eddie Rosario just took a fastball, a hundred and two mile an hour fastball at his nipples out, and he can do that because he's done. He did that this year. He hit the hardest fastball this year for a homer, uh, one hundred two from Rosario Adderall. So, you know, you have these guys with different strengths, and somebody will break through at some point. It's a little different than the Astros, who around the league are well known for kind of developing a style of hitter. There is the Astros setup. There is the Astros approach, and that is mostly be a high ball hitter, spit on everything low, set up with the the the, the bat on your shoulder once, bam. That's the, the Astros style. So if you become too homogenous in the lineup, I think uh, you can be pitched to. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
real quick, when we go back to last night and we go back to kind of the, the ramifications now, Brent Strom, Astros pitching coach, is now going to leave, which is super sad. Mm-hmm. J- Jim Crane apparently said last night that Dusty Baker is going to either get a one-year or a two-year deal. If you ask me, he needs a, at least a one-year with an option. You can't keep lame ducking a guy who went to the World Series. Um, they gave him that one year initially. Well, you never know what, what Dusty's shield. saying. I guess Dusty would always want more years, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Really unfortunate as much as I think most people were probably rooting for the Braves that Dusty Baker continues to be the, what the most, most managerial wins without a world series win. He has one as a player. Uh, but you know, that, that was really sad. Uh, Brett Strong, people are asking, he spoke last night and said he's not retiring, but he's not going to be a major league pitching coach. And he kind of hinted at other opportunities. He said that they have some young pitching coaches, the Astros organization, who it should be their time. They don't want to lose them. Um, and I think it's a grind for somebody that's in their mid-70s when you think about, as Dusty said, he hadn't been home since February. and It's damn near Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it's just a lot. So um, some changes coming. I wonder – on the brave side, they sort of kick happens? him upstairs where he's like a special advisor on pitching or something like right. that. Yeah, potentially. Such a smart guy, well respected, well liked. Um, do you guys? I think the brave staff will probably stay intact. I don't think Ron Washington gets a managerial job. I think Snicker would probably try to keep that group together, though certainly things can happen. Um, they could try but to the Braves lose a lot of players. <laughs> Yes, Freddie Freeman, you have to resign now, right? The guy just won a World Series for you. He's your face of the team. Uh, I think you have got to get that done. Also, no, you, have wants to super, stay. you have super below market contracts on Albies and Acuna, so like you can afford to maybe overpay a little bit for the first baseman. Right, that's what I was going to ask you guys. Dynasty-wise, can this Braves team, even though they weren't supposed to get here, nobody thought they were going to get here, can they get here again next year? What do you think? I mean, I think they can, of course, because this is how every sport works. The odds from BetMGM were in my inbox this morning, and Atlanta's plus 1,000 to win the World Series next year. So that puts them within the top four, I think, odds-wise. So at least from a, a betting market's perspective, there's a belief they can run it back. And I think when you look at the core of that roster, because they have those young guys, because Acuna is going to be healthy, that gives them a shot again. It's going to be... I think it's contingent upon just how aggressive the rest of the division is, but their core is as good as any other core in that division right now, right? I mean, I think if you're looking at the next two to three years, which team in the NL East is the biggest threat to Atlanta, realistically? Is it still the Mets despite all their front office stuff? Is it the Marlins because of their young talent? The Nationals seem like they're kind of going into a little bit of a reshuffling that might not be a quick reshuffling. I think that's that's going to be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. And then the Phillies, as, as Britt likes to remind us all the time, like they just can't execute. Like They spend money, they try, and they just can't well, get to that next level. They're interesting because they're projected to be like a sort of an 84-win team right now, uh, which is really boring. But it also is like, uh, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, if they were actually just a little bit better in, in some of the facets of the game, you know, if they actually had a good bullpen one year. You know, and maybe added one starter or, you know, a, a key player like they have maybe 30 million to spend. I, I could see them if they made all the right moves, you know, being right there with them in the division next year. They were right there with them in the division this year, mm-hmm. you know, and and we're we're all saying, hey, try every year, learn from the Braves. You know, I think the Phillies should try. And if things if, I think particularly if they ever had a good bullpen, uh, they would uh, they would they would push the Braves. 
Yeah, I think everyone should try. I think that should be the theme of baseball. Try. <laughs> it's 162 games. This isn't football. Like, try. You have months before. You know what I mean? Like, if you're hanging around in July, try. Try. Everyone yeah. should just try. It will, I, it's been a... It's been a buyer's deadline at the trade deadline for the last several years. So the types of players that Atlanta acquired, they don't require much in terms of long-term value to give up for them. They're undervalued players when it comes to being tendered contracts. They're undervalued players in free agency, and they're undervalued again at the deadline. And then you see the impact guys like this can have. If it just fits in as secondary pieces and replacements for injured players, it certainly makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Jorge Soler home run, can I call BS on 446 feet? That ball definitely went further than that. It cleared the tracks. It was like the yeah. Albert Pujols blast 15 years ago. And he ends up winning World Series MVP honors. And this is a guy that... How, how many teams actually wanted Jorge Soler back at the end of July when he was available? Because he had COVID and wasn't on part of their playoff roster. Yeah. I mean... This time during the postseason. It's just nuts. Yeah, that's that's kind of what you love about the playoffs, though, right? All of a sudden, just these random heroes emerge. But you knew when he came back, I think his first at bat back from COVID was like, I don't know, I want to say 10 or 11 pitches. You just knew he was kind of like locked in from the jump. It didn't look like he had missed much time. And that's really what's unfortunate is Alex Anthopoulos had COVID and couldn't celebrate last night, apparently. But he should have been the World Series MVP for the moves he made. I mean... It's unfortunate that executive of the year gets voted on before the playoffs actually begin. Because when you look at some of the way that Anthopolis constructed this team and guys like Soler and somebody mentioned Dansby Swanson really stepping up in the postseason, like to me, it was really hard to pick an MVP because the Braves just got like Tyler Matzik. They just got like contributions from everywhere. It felt like they could have just given this to the bullpen and we would all have been okay with that too. Time person of the year, you, <laughs> reflective cover. <laughs> I think I Bojack Horseman it was we are all secretariat that was what they went with uh, for the secretariat movie but uh, I'm losing the plot in a big way uh, they also get Mike Soroka back at some point potentially it yeah. might not be right away beginning of the season but there's a guy that could come in and, and pitch similar to a frontline guy if not like a frontline guy health permitting it's a long road back for him of course I think Dansby Swanson would have been a, a perfectly fine option to throw out there as World Series MVP as well. I agree with you, Britt. I think you had a few different players you could have went with for that award. And James wants to know, do the, do the Braves re-sign Jorge Soler? And does that depend on Universal DH? I would say almost certainly it does. I think if they have Universal DH, that it, could that could make a lot more sense. Yeah, it also depends on the Marcelo Zuna situation. Also true. A big unknown among Because I think others. Ozuna, I think that when they signed Ozuna, the, some part of the discussion was, will he be our DH when there is a universal DH? Yeah, based on He's length of deal. not a very good outfielder. Right. Based on length of deal, you might be right. So that that could actually be the deciding factor that keeps Soler from returning to Atlanta. But I think his market definitely up after what he did uh, over the course uh, of the postseason. Uh, there's a question here from James. Why did Christian Javier throw Dansby Swanson of their fastball after game four? No idea. Could not tell you. That nah. doesn't make any sense. None. This, yeah, I mean, some, yeah, Braves underperformed their Pythagorean by six wins and their base runs by three wins. Huh. I mean, that's a great point. They'll probably be a better team in 2022. Maxwell Bay, I think we can all agree if they're healthy. Just getting back Acuna, they're going to be a better yeah. team. They've got Horton. They've got, you know, Freed coming back. Uh, we talked about Soroka at some point. Uh, this has been their division. They've won the last, what, three years in a row? 
someone in the comments correct me if I'm wrong, but at the last couple of years, they've owned this division. So until some other team proves otherwise, the NL East is the Atlanta Braves division. So yes, I think they could win the division next year. And I think they could still continue to be a, a force in the postseason. So, you know, they're going to, they're going to be good for a while. They are. And I think the Astros, you know, their window hasn't closed. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. They've got the Jordan Alvarez's. They've got the Kyle Tucker's kind of coming up next. And so these are two teams that I think are going to still be four division titles. Thank you, James. They're going to still be in this mix here for a while. We're going to be talking about them for a while, guys. So I guess get used to the Braves being part of Braves and Merrill's. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not going away anytime soon. Uh, Mitch wants to know, are Christian Pache and Drew Water still part of the three to five year plan or are they trade bait to boost the rotation? It seems like it'd be weird if both of them ended up sticking around long term, but that's where the uncertainty is right now in, in this roster. Well, I mean, the, the players are going to lose. The position players are going to lose or are set to become free agents. Soler, Rosario, Peterson, Duvall. That's, that's your entire outfield that you just work through the postseason with. I, I think they, the, 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 a lot of the players that they're about to lose are easily replaceable. I've got the, uh, the free agent outfielders up uh, and guys that they could sign without spending a lot of money are Tommy Pham, Corey Dickerson. They could sign Eddie Rosario back. I think Solera might cost a little bit more, uh, but uh, we'll see. I mean, he definitely helped the stock with the whole second half, not just the playoffs. Um, let's see who else uh, could be interesting. Actually, that it, it drops off after that pretty quickly. <laughs> Those are the names: Fam, Dickerson, Rosario, mm-hmm. Mark Canha. Hmm. Uh, could be an interesting guy, but um, you know they'll they'll find uh, corner outfielders like they did this year. And the big thing is the long term plan at center field because I think you you can stick Acuna there maybe, but coming off of uh, the 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 injury, I think that you might want to put less stress on him, put him in the corner outfield, in which case I think Pache is starting opening day because it's yeah. you're not going to find a center fielder on the market. That's just not – you don't usually buy a center fielder in free agency because you that's a young position. Yeah. yeah. With, with Pache, I mean, I think you have potential gold glove defense regardless of what you get from the bat. You have enough – bats otherwise for your offense to, to justify that and you might end up developing a guy that turns into a nice offensive player I think the year he had at AAA he ended up finishing as a league average player in terms of WRC plus was striking out 27.5% of the time he popped 11 homers in 89 games he was stealing some bases I mean for a guy that's still he's 22 years old when he did that there's still a reason yeah. to believe he could take one more step forward over time, especially without a lot of pressure on him offensively. Waters' approach has always been in question, so I think there's a lot of people that are skeptical of just how good of a big league hitter he's going to be. They, they also just have a really good lineup, so if Pache's their eight hitter, you know, yeah, you can fine. go with the yeah. young, cheap, defense-first guy. You don't want to pay anybody to be a defense-first guy, but a young, cheap, defense-first guy, give him a year or two. If it doesn't work out, then you have to figure something else out. But yeah, you, you're also developing other guys um that'll pop up in the meantime so i think i think you know uh, i don't think that pache is the next star uh or the you know the quote-unquote you know solution or whatever but i think that he is going to be their opening day center fielder yeah a couple comments um in the comment stream about carlos correa um i spent a lot of time around houston in october 
The sentiment is very much that Carlos Correa is not resigning in Houston. They don't do these big mega contracts. It's just not what they do. Jim Crane did say, you know, they're going to talk, but obviously I think they are preparing to move on without him. People mentioned Detroit. I know the Tigers have a bunch of interest. I think the the age is a little bit of a factor when it comes to Correa, how, how long he's looking for, um, for some kind of deal. Uh, somebody else asked about the quality of the games in the World Series, which I feel like we've talked about a little bit. I do wish the games were closer, but I think part of it is the what we talked about with the starters just not going deep. So you're just running into that problem and you're going to have a lot of runs when you've got mostly bullpen games, right? And that's what we saw. And I do hope it reverts back. I hope maybe it's an anomaly from the 60-game season last year. Um, but but you I, know, I, I, you know, I don't know. One thing, one thought I had about that is that the DH is going to lead to a higher run environment, and a higher run environment means more lopsided games. And what we saw was the ALCS had more lopsided games, the NLCS had more tight games, the NL, the games played in NL parks in this series were closer. And so, you know, the one thing that may happen, you know, we don't like watching pitchers hit, uh, and they suck at it, but. Uh, one thing that may happen with the DH is uh, a higher run environment and more and more laughters, uh, which is not exactly what we want as a sport either. Right, right. Uh, I saw a comment here: Adam Duvall contract through twenty twenty two. I think it's a mutual option, and because he's constantly non tendered, I just expect him to be kind of bumped back out into free agency and then brought back in. Also, don't homers the last two years. Yeah, I don't want to start him in center field. No, yeah. I, I'm amazed they play him there, but I think the Correa thing. It sure seems like he's gone following the footsteps of George Springer as a big free agent to leave I, where he goes. I, I I keep seeing him in pinstripes. I keep seeing him as the, the, the Yankees choice on a massive contract to to be their shortstop. And maybe he finishes the, the contract at a different position. But I would assume that we're talking like an eight-plus year deal pretty easily for Correa despite the injury history. And I don't know if, if Houston's going to make a commitment like that. No, I, I think that they're kind of planning for him to move on. That's just what it seems. Um, just from people I talked to over the last month, like Altuve and Bregman are going to spend their careers in Houston, right? They're going to hear the booze the rest of their life. They're probably going to be Astros for the rest of their careers. There's never been that sense about Correa. New York is interesting because he idolizes A-Rod. Um, they did that commercial together. And I, I was told that like Correa really idolizes Alex Rodriguez, which not really who I would pick to idolize, but you know, each their own. Um, I do think it'll be interesting to see when and you look at that shortstop market, someone asked about Marcus Simeon, um, Trey Turner has one more year. Uh, if you're Detroit and you're not going to win next year, do you just wait and try to make a play for Trey Turner? Uh, you know, I, who may command less money, who in my opinion is still kind of undervalued, underrated to some extent. Um, going to LA probably helped him a little bit more, but um, you know that shortstop market and what a team like Detroit does when they're still kind of at the tail end of the rebuilding mode. Uh, does Correa end up being? They just got out from under the Miguel Cabrera contract, right? They're just about to get out from under that, and you're going to now saddle yourself with a deal that could end up being really bad in a couple of years. I think that the difference for me, though, with shortstops especially, is that with those guys playing up the middle you're going to more likely settle in to the, the back half of a contract that's much more tolerable. And even even so, we talk about this all the time, right? These big contracts still end up being bargains for the teams, even though they end up kind of building around them and saying they're an excuse later to not do something. Uh, but I, I do think there's, 
with, with Correa, if it's like a 10-year deal, his injury history does give me a little more pause on a massive deal like that than some of the other players who've been extended in recent years. Uh, I, was, I saw a comment in here about Harris, the other prospect for Atlanta, too, the other outfield prospect. I mean, it's, that's another reason that's why. That's exactly who Waters we're talking is, about, like, you know, the kind yeah. of pop-up guys that are, you know, you put Pache in there and maybe Harris takes the job from him halfway through the season, you know? Right, and that's yeah. part of the reason why I think Waters is, is so expendable. But, yeah, it, it, to that question about just the 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 way these games played out, I, the weekend games I thought were the best games overall. Like the the Friday, Saturday, Sunday stretch. in Atlanta. Yeah, that was that was the best stretch of this series. I mean, if you're an Atlanta fan, it was last night. But from just a kind of a neutral perspective, that three game stretch was the best of, of what this series had to offer us. I mean, there's the the thing about mucking with the game, which I'm a pro, a fan of, is like you know changing the game, changing the incentives, changing the rules. I'm I'm a fan of that because you know I think that other sports have done it to 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 great success. Um, and the and the and the baseball is still kind of looking for it. The the thing about it is you have these things pointing in so many different area, in directions, right? Like, so you put in the DH for everyone. You're like, yay! Well, that's a lot of offense, right? Mm-hmm. So what what are you going to do to like mitigate that? Um, and it, you know they've been trying these things, and the moving the mound back didn't actually seem to reduce offense that much, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe you do the pitch clock and the DH in the same year. And what's funny is that like people would be like, oh, baseball didn't change. You'd be like, well, there was like some underlying stuff that happened there that, that went in different directions. I wish I wish you could almost change one big rule a year and see, <laughs> see what happens. You know? Always has to be done uh, one at a time to really get the full impact. I got an important uh, item to get to before we <laughs> sign off. Dan Swanson. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So it's like Sean Connery in The Rock, dude. I can't. So if you didn't see it on Twitter and if you're not watching us on YouTube, Eno last night tweeted, You ever have to say a name one way in your head? I can't not say Dansby Swanson in a bad Scottish accent. It's a failure of mine. Probably one of your most popular tweets uh, in the last week or so. Two people were, were into that. <laughs> oh, God. Well, everyone who joined us on YouTube, thank you. It's been really fun see the live yeah. comments maybe we'll do it in the off season too because i kind of enjoy the banter and what people care about versus just what the three of us care about so it's been fun mm-hmm. yeah, yeah a great uh, great crew asking like a lot of questions the feedback. thanks guys for for all the questions and comments it's been really cool yeah we yeah. really appreciate all of you uh keg status check on the way out the door you know I can pick it up with a couple fingers now, so there can't be that much left in it. it sounds like maybe <laughs> five to six pints still left in there. Uh, but thanks you, thank you to all of you who've tuned in throughout the postseason, whether that's live or the podcast version. We get to the normal version of the show again next week and get 33% off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. On Twitter, he's at Eno Sarah. She's at Britt underscore Drolli. I am at Derek Van Riper. And of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button on this video and subscribe to the channel in case we do feature, future live episodes. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.